Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm True Crime Nana from Rochester, and you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, can and should all films and television shows be cast colorblind? Okay, here comes the show, and remember, question everything. Hello everybody and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello! We pose the questions that need to be asked and we are talking everything from... Well, everything from our question from True Crime Nana from Rochester. Her question was, should all TV and film be cast colourblind? Dane, where do we start with that? Uh, I don't think so. I, I, I'm always uh, cynical about the whole idea of colour blindness. I think we don't need to arrive at a space socially where you don't see colour. It's embracing everybody irrespective of their colour because, you know, no one ever makes a distinction between Care Bears. So I feel like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, get, I, get, I get what she's saying, but, you know, certain casting, sometimes an aesthetic is pertinent to a particular story. I think that should be reflected in... Uh, in film and and TV as well. But needless to say, we ask all the questions. We ask all the questions. We don't hold back. And if you have any questions for the podcast, then please uh, get in touch with us. And if you enjoy the podcast, please rate and review it on uh, Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. And you can also find the podcast on Acast, the world's largest podcast network. And speaking of living large and in charge, uh, today's uh, guest is very esteemed, first of all. And uh, it's been a real pleasure to finally get them on the show and they are a writer speaker and social content creator as well as benevolent influencer i have to emphasize benevolent nothing but positivity from our guest her content has been featured in publications such as the independent cosmopolitan l huffington post and many more her online writing has been shared by the likes of oprah magazine chloe kardashian hayley bieber and amanda seals what a legend and in 2019 she was announced as the first ever ambassador for the charity young women's trust it is the tremendous Tony Tone, no extra Tony. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Dane. Hi, Howard. Hey, Hi. How are you? That was such a lovely intro. Thank you. We like to celebrate. We like to celebrate. We like to give flowers while people are here. We like to exalt. And we definitely make a point of principle to make sure we give extra pedestal to the Queen's damn Tony. So, oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, so, how have you been? What's been happening on this very warm day, for those who don't know? Have you enjoyed the sun? Yeah, I've been good. I've been out lounging. I visited. I don't, I don't know. Should I say where I visited? I don't know. No promo. But I visited a very, very nice uh, private members club that had a pool, and I was lounging there all day. Pretty oh, much. Is it back? Is it back open? It's back open. You know exactly where I'm talking. About. <laughs> <laughs> that That's is what's hilarious. up. That's what's up. Well, yeah, live it, love it. Get some, get some vitamin D to the pineal gland. Stimulate that. That's it. What's <laughs> up? Enjoy, enjoy. How, how, how have you been faring uh, so far as uh, artistically uh, during? Uh, the lockdown um it's been intense it's been it's been tough and it's been a, a moment for me to really reflect and work on my own like personal creativity so there's been there's been bad but there's been i guess good in some way if you can say good mm-hmm. um so on the whole it's been stressful like my grandma had, had covid she's recovered now thank goodness but that was really tough and being mm. very very conscious of like the fact i couldn't see her couldn't visit her couldn't spend time mm. with her in hospital she's almost 90 years old but on the flip side it's it's definitely encouraged me to create lots of content to do lots of writing and that has been good i guess that's good man it's all balanced as well man. and we give massive thanks uh for grandma being a fighter and pulling through as we knew that she would mm-hmm. mm. amen that's it that's it we give thanks god is good only all the time 
all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably time for a question, Dane, isn't it? As Absol- we uh, as as the format dictates. Absolutely, uh, uh, Ms. Tony Tone. If that's okay to use that honorific, uh, we value you, and uh, so happy you came on the podcast. And we know you are a busy and influential woman. Um, so, as our esteemed guest, we invite you to ask the first question, which we'd like to discuss for fifteen minutes and some change. Then, uh, how to do the same? I will do the same at the end. Lather, rinse, repeat. Everybody, go have a nice time. Sound like a plan? Good to me. Perfect. Well, as again, as I say, thank you so much for being on the podcast, and we invite you uh, to have the floor and ask the first question. Okay, so I have a question for both you and Howard. Do you Mm. think marriage is less of a priority for young people of today? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, uh, and 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 what inspired this question from you, Tony? Um, a lot of my content on Twitter focuses on relationships, relationships of all, all types, but relationships, marriage, um, friendships, uh, family relationships. But one thing I have noticed from a lot of my tweeting is that it seems as if people have this impression that, oh, the generations before cared more about certain things. And you see a lot of tweets online from young people, oh, back in the day this, back in the day that. And I, I, I almost ha- have this um, uh, view that, oh, may- maybe there's a possibility that the way young people perceive marriage is very different from how, say, our grandparents perceived marriage. So I just thought I'd pose the question, see what you think, based on what I've seen on Twitter and the observations I've made on there. Mm. No, it's a, it's a good point. I mean, I, I when it comes to like social media and stuff, I always tend to find I uh, take a lot of people's proclamations and how postulate on social media with a pinch of salt. So yeah. I really do find a lot of the time that people will go on there and say things that are incendiary or impulsive. And I always put it down to the fact that social media as a consciousness is relatively uh, young. And so mm. you do get quite an adolescent kind of narrative from a lot of people on social media. So I say that because obviously when people are young, the idea of marriage and settling down and having a lot more of a routine in matrimony, people find that a lot more daunting and, you know, I guess a reflection of a loss of youth. So I think that's why people may appear to kind of rebel against that when you see on social media. But that being said, um, I still think a lot of people, especially if they are still a part or have an affinity with their culture, uh, yeah. particularly, uh, you know, uh, people maybe second or third generation immigrants still consider things like marriage to uh, have a certain level of significance when it comes to coupling or relationships or family in general. Um, but yeah, at the same time as well, I also think that a lot of people are being very uh, retrospective in terms of looking at the, uh, the state of marriages between like, you know, their predecessors and their parents and relatives and stuff. And I think, yeah, something you do, uh, a very good job of alluding to and addressing uh, in a lot of your work where it's like just because people were married or there were certain things that your grandmother may have put up with because she was someone's wife doesn't mean yeah. it's necessarily acceptable and um i think if there has been a decline in um attitudes uh, positive attitudes towards marriage i don't think people are um, adverse to the idea of having a long-term partner and building a um building a life with somebody i don't think people are adverse to that but i think if you take into account certain uh I guess certain elements of liberalism, whether it's like third wave feminism or, you know, the legislation regarding civil partnerships and, you know, same sex uh, marriages. I think people maybe just uh, take more, maybe more of a relaxed approach to it. So it's not that I don't think people don't like the idea of marriage, but I don't think people think marriage is the same indicator of a long term relationship or a union that it used to be. But then I'm not married, so I don't know. Whereas Howard. Well, this is what I was going to say. I mean, this is what I was going to say. As a married man, could you imagine if I said that I didn't think it should be uh, my wife? Uh, What would happen, Tara, if I said I didn't think marriage should be kind of... I guess, is is it valued as much or should it be valued as much? You know, the the reality of it, to me, in my relationship is, is simple. You know, I was not married to Tara for uh, three years uh, of our relationship. And I could not tell you that in terms of the dynamic of our relationship, anything changed once we did get married. Um, and that's obviously a sign that the relationship was was a good one. And, you know, um, I, I guess there's a kind of, what, what does it mean to you? That's the point, is it? What does it really mean to you? And for me, it meant a party, you know, a celebration of our love. It wasn't anything that was supposed to do anything more than that. 
really. And, 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 and Howard, you're leaving out a particular nuanced aspect of your marriage that Tony needs to know. You have to give a context. <laughs> the the bedroom uh, element, which yeah. makes it sound more exciting. The bedroom exciting. element. This sounds very interesting. <laughs> it makes it sound much more exciting. You'll see. You'll see. You'll see, ma'am. You'll as, see. As listeners, uh, long-term listeners will know of this podcast, I do not share a bedroom with my wife because I, uh, basically, Tony, she would have killed me by now if we shared a bed. Uh, I not only snore like a lot of people, which can be compensated for, I move. I've got the arms. The arms go go all over the place, you see, Tony. So on that basis, I can't really share a bed with her, which has obviously, I think, made a massive impact in in our relationship. I think we have a happier relationship because, for example, if I want to watch... Football highlights from uh, Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very good um, euphemism there, Howard. If I want to watch a uh, football <laughs> highlights in the, in the room, I would see. <laughs> All right, Howard. <laughs> Is that what or, we call it now? Yeah. 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 <laughs> married man now, Tony. He's a married man now, Tony. You have to use different words nowadays. Yeah. Just come out with I it. want to enjoy myself physically, uh, independently of Tara, um, you know, or any other thing, including working late, uh, which you could also you call it a euphemism. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, then, then I can do it without disturbing her um, physically or mentally, um, and um, you know that's that's got a lot of, um, of of value to it that I think maybe makes the relationship work. I yeah, guess. Yeah, I quite like that you're doing what works for you. I feel like sometimes when it comes to our concept of marriage, it could be very cookie cutter. Like we do what is expected based on history, based on what we've seen in mainstream media. And for example, in your situation, the expectation is, of course, you would sleep in the bed with your wife. Why wouldn't you? That is strange. But you are doing what works for you and obviously by doing that then that is facilitating a more harmonious I imagine uh, marriage for you because of of all the things that you've obviously stated and I think it's important for people to see situations like that so they they because I actually met a couple actually I think I went to um uh, Goodwood it was like a the the, you know the car thing that they do and I was Mm -hmm. there with a friend and I met a couple and we were asking um them lots of questions we found out that they had been together for years and years and years and I said oh what's the secret and the answer they gave was so funny they said the secret is living in two different countries I was like excuse me (laughs) and basically they live in two I think she lived in the UK he lived in Italy but they had been married for over 30 years but they had their bases and they would meet up when it suited them and that worked for them and I thought that's really interesting because we do often think marriage has to fit a certain framework and that's Mm -hmm. just not the case but what's interesting about everything you said actually like i i saw something i think it was it was on harper's bazaar earlier this year and it said the average age for um first time marriage i think for women in the uk right now is 35 and i was actually quite shocked to read that i thought it would be significantly younger and then i did some digging and i saw that like if we look in in our like parents and grandparents lifetime we go back i don't know 40 or so years in the 1960s it was about a decade earlier so you're looking at 25 um why do you think that might be uh, I, I think people weren't living as long uh, initially mm. um i also feel like i mean for our predecessors and stuff like that as well the idea of the coupling where you maybe be cohabiting a place and stuff like that, it was very different because like, well, my, my parents have been married for like 41 years and I think they bought their house for like 80,000 and it's probably worth five or six times that now. Yeah. And I think, yes, yeah, so I think inflation in terms of like the idea now where marriage is a, can be quite a significant investment as a civil partnership, where it's like cohabiting and putting together your assets. And I think that, uh, it's a lot harder to accumulate the wealth required for most things that you get after marriage, like a home and like maybe a mortgage. So I think maybe people wait a little bit longer. And I think also, as I said, uh, with the emergence of, uh, you know, third wave feminism, you know, women are less are less inclined to acquiesce to these pressures of like having kids and setting down and getting married and pursuing some of their own interests, whether it's uh, professional ones or um, whatever kind of aspirations they may have, or whether it's traveling or having new jobs and stuff. So I think that may be one of the reasons why, People are a lot older, and I guess people are just a, maybe a lot more mature, and there are probably a lot more opportunities and a lot more uh, of an infrastructure that will support people later on in life if they want to still entertain certain things. Like there's a lot more, I guess, leisure and hospitality that is oriented towards people in their early thirties than they may have yeah. been ten years or so ago. But I, I definitely agree with your point as well. That for me, I don't necessarily think that uh, people are uh, adverse to marriage. I think that now people are just more prepared. Oh, more aware of their choices, more aware of other options available to them. And I think now that we just have more open discourse regarding 
the uh, I guess intricacies of relationships. Yeah. Then as it's like with Howard, it's like some people would be like, "How you, how you and your wife live is you're <laughs> living in separate rooms, but it works for their particular relationship." Yeah. And I and I've always found like with my parents. They're, you know, they're not particularly affectionate when I see them. They don't really hold hands. And that used to be like, why is that the case? But then I think they had a life before. I'm looking from the perspective of their son. They had a life before that. And I imagine all couplings or relationships, they continue to progress. And certain aspects of your relationship play less importance than others. But I really feel like the main part is that the two people that came together to form a partnership uh, which would include, you know, raising their children, getting, giving their said children a better life than they had themselves. And, uh, yeah, just trying to build with the resource, joint resources together, which I, for myself, that is what marriage kind of means to me. Like, obviously, you know, as, uh, as Howard said, it's always nice that you can have that aspect of the pageantry and celebrate your love with your close ones because you are trying to celebrate a union of two families or two groups of people. But for the most part, it's like, you know, in the same way that like, my parents have never been in, they never really watch TV in the same room. And I think that definitely yeah. helps their marriage. So my mum always watches TV in her room. My dad's always wow. in the living room. And so they never really sit down and watch the same shows together. And I think that is a very important part of marriage is just to recognise that there is an individual that existed before your coupling and they will have their own interests, their own rates of uh, spiritual, emotional and, you know, physical growth. And you kind of have to honour that. I think I think you always have to remember that, you know, should the worst happen, touch wood, like that person still has to endure and still live a life uh, where you may not be as capable to be supporting them all the time. So, yeah, I, I, I was think, I, think the, I think the I think the reality of it to me anyway is 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 if you don't get married, and this is not to say to any listeners who aren't going to get married and stay in a long term relationship that this is a problem for them. I just think for a lot of people, you want to be they want ultimate commitment. They they they, they you know they may have had experiences where someone you know treated them badly, infidelities. Who knows? It could be a number of things. And I, I think to get the ultimate commitment from someone saying, basically, mate, until you're dead, I'm here. And I think I think that does. That, you know what I mean, Tony, right? That's that, that, that's what people, yeah, some people need. Yeah. So, and, and not everyone needs that anymore, I guess, is your is why this question is so interesting. Well, yeah. But although I don't necessarily mean think people don't need companionship. I just think that uh, I guess society's priorities have kind of changed. And so I think as people have kind of moved in order to, uh, uh, I suppose, focus on those particular priorities, marriage maybe has taken a back seat, whereby it's not it's no longer the singular indicator of uh, adulthood anymore that it used to be. Yeah, so 100%. I think, that's, I think that's what's kind of changed it, is just the fact that, uh, you know, it's, it's people... And, and, and there are some, even there are some, you know, quasi-patriarchal elements to the idea of being married, because a lot of the time there is a real unfairness where like if i am i'm in my late 30s and i'm unmarried then i'm an eligible bachelor whereas if a woman is the same age as me it's like oh she's left on the shelf and i think uh mm. yeah again that with the emergence of a lot more uh liberalism then people are like addressing that and being like that is no way an indicator of yourself of your your uh eligibilities for marriage is no longer an indicator of your self-worth as a woman anymore and it shouldn't be oh, and i'm I think, so glad you said that because yeah. i'm on a, a youtube show uh, with some friends called Heels Off. And the amount of comments we get, particularly one gentleman that loves to tell us that, oh, you guys need to give it up. You're on the shelf. Settle down and have kids. Why do you have an online show? <laughs> and it's what? like the majority of us are like late 20s, early 30s. And the abuse we get sometimes from men online about why we are unmarried and childless is insane to me. So I'm so glad as a guy you did say that, like, it is not indicative of anything. I was, I was raised by loads of women. And so, you know, my mother has six sisters. And wow. for example, her second sister, my aunt, is based in America. Like, she used to live in East London. She moved to the States, you know, and she's forged a, a wonderful career for herself. She's raised her children. Like, to me, she's my spirit animal. And so to me, it's like, why would... And and she's been in long-term relationships, but she's, at the point she's been like, well, this person is not supporting me the way I'm supporting them. He's not yeah. bringing anyth- anything additional to me as far as like industrially or where uh, or fiscally. So it's like she can get rid of them. And I'm like, hell yeah. Why wouldn't you? You've raised your kids yourself. You're, you made all your, bought all your properties yourself. So what else is someone bringing to the table? And I think, like, as I said, it's, it's always been for, for men who are insecure about the, you know, the pursuit of a relationship. They've always had this kind of thing where it's like, Oh, we can take advantage of the fact that women will become more desperate the later they get in life because uh, they want to get married. And it's like, for me, it's nice that, you know, women are rebelling against that and are having a lot more of a discernible approach to picking a suitor because a lot of time, a lot of women, and yeah. I'm sure if you speak to your predecessors are like, well, like my grandmother, for example, was divorced from my grandfather. 
for hmm. several instances of infidelity. And this is at a time when people were not getting divorced. Yes. Mm. And, it, and even when she did in the end, and she because he was abusive as well, and people would ask, oh, well, why did it take so long? Or why did you divorce? Why didn't you divorce him before? And she was like, well, you know, there was, I had seven kids. So what was I supposed to do? But, you know, so I, I guess I've always been privileged in seeing very early on instances of women uh, subverting these ideas about classical ideas about marriage and gender, uh, classic gender roles. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think a woman's self-worth is not determined by how eligible she is to be married or how many kids she has, because there are many sinister ways in which people can realize that like, people marry to people marry to get states to stay in countries, people marry to save assets, people marry to avoid going to prison. So, you know, that's not what you indicate. And, and to be honest with you, Tony, that guy just sounds like he really likes you, you ladies, and uh, just doesn't know how to express it. He basically, all a man says that, he's just, he's just basically saying, why wouldn't you marry me? Don't you know what's so funny? I actually said that. We had the, our very last episode. was an episode where you, like, read the bad comments. Yeah. And I said that. I was like, I feel like he really fancies one of us. And he, he absolutely so does. Angry. He absolutely does. He, he loves you guys. Because who would, who would go back again for the next topic? <laughs> who would go... Like, if, if, you, if you guys are unattractive and you're on the shelf why is he going back to that same shelf that's what Amazing. i do it's like there is a audi there's an audi there's an audi garage there's an audi garage on beckenham road i always go there and i'm like oh these cars are overpriced but inside i'm like one day when i can afford them i'm gonna get myself an r8 tony that is so hilarious that is so funny but the thing the thing to kind of conclude this question is to just say that no matter what if you are in a relationship you should be happy Absolutely, like, and, yeah. and yourself, and your be- and yourself, and, yeah. and, 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 and if you're else. not happy as a person, and, and, and therefore not the relationship isn't happy, then you need to communicate that with your your partner and make it work. And that could be, you know, what it's like a really interesting. I always think about this. It's, you know how some people ask people to give stuff up once mm. they end up in a relationship. Yeah, if you give up too much. I think you fucked it. I think your relationship won't last. And and therefore, be happy, guys. That's the key. Uh, yeah. And we say guys because some of you may be in polyamorous relationships and I don't want to offend you guys either. So Guys is a term for anyone. Yeah. Guys, guys yes. Oh, exactly. And that, that means even if you're in a polyamorous relationship and not a monogamous one, long as you got all, all three or four of you guys are happy, have at it. It was a really good question, though. Very I like good. that question a lot. Very good. Uh, because um, we don't often get uh, these kind of uh, kind of questions. We often just deal with really uh, uh, kind of hard-hitting, uh, you know, we do a lot of race, don't we, Dane? And we do a lot of politics. So it's nice to talk about matters of the heart. Absolutely. Um, uh, so thank you, Tony, for, right. for, for that question. I do say everyone, everyone loves love. So, you know, it's nice to talk ever, about ever, Everyone loves love. I tell you what else people love. It's, it's, it's the subject of my question. Uh, because everyone <laughs> loves a bargain. Oh, everyone loves a bargain. Oh, yeah. So, Tony, as queen of budgeting, and then I will open this, <laughs> I will open this over to Dane. What things do you do to save money? Let's go. Let's dig in. Okay. So, <laughs> Let's so, dig in. <laughs> so, I guess off the back of the queen of budgeting, it's probably because I have my budgeting template that I share online. So, I yeah. think that has, that literally, like, when I say it saved me, I can't even begin to stress how much it saved me. And I'm not just saying that because it's my template. I just mean managing my money in, in a way that encouraged me to actually look at the money I have and review it. And, and in my 20s, when I left uni, I was like living in overdraft. Like that is all I knew. And I had terrible habits. I would buy things I didn't need and I would buy things when I didn't feel great and it was terrible. And it got to a point one day where I was like, okay, no, you need to fix up because you cannot live like this. You cannot go into adulthood living check to check in this way because you cannot control yourself. And I used to I used to be so against checking my account. I did not want to know what the situation was. I, I or if you do cry. go and look, if you do look, you're going to hide your eyes as you're right. doing it. Like, the, old, the old financial dissonance. If I don't see it, I'm not broke. That's how. That, exactly, that, I get it. That was basically me. That was me. So, but then, but then I got to a point where I was like, nah, you need to get it together. So I started, what I did was I made, I made a template basically. It was just an Excel, Excel spreadsheet that forced me to put in my income every month, like input my expenditure every month. And then I did it. So it carried over. So I could visualize, um, how my spending was impacting my life. And it got to the point where I did not want to look at my accounts to becoming obsessive about looking at my accounts. And I got out of overdraft I paid off all my debt and in in the space of five years like my entire life changed so when it comes to like me ensuring that I budget accurately and I don't spend money it is about 
being one with my bank account and not sticking my fingers in my ears, not pretending and being honest with myself and saying, look, what are you doing that needs to change? What are you doing that is not productive or beneficial when it comes to your financial situation? And another thing for me, I never used to check in my 20s. I never checked my credit score. I did not do that. Then when I started reviewing my accounts, I signed up to uh, different credit agencies. I even paid for one. So I get like a monthly report. I check my credit score and I've become incredibly um, disciplined when it comes to that element of my life. So I think because people are often talking, when we talk about not spending money, they often talk about like, oh, I take the bus instead of get on the car. Um, I don't go to Zara every week. I cook <laughs> at home and I, I, I don't go out to eat. But I, I think you can do a lot of the things you enjoy, but it's about discipline and about being honest when it comes mm. to your spending habits. So that for me, yeah, was definitely key. So checking my accounts and being aware of the importance of credit. That's fascinating. I mean, Dane, your relationship with money, I don't know. You, you, I don't, I, that, it's interesting. We've done nearly 70 episodes of this and I, I've never asked you if you spunk all your money up the wall or mm, not. Yeah. But I don't think you do. I don't think you do. I'm going to guess you don't. No, I don't. I, uh, I come from, yeah, culturally, I, I, I come from a uh, money under the bed culture. I will say though, is that, uh, mm. you know, my, uh, my grandfather and that generation of people weren't particularly trusting of banks at mm. a time where, you know, the Windrush generation, uh, and successive generations was, uh, 70% of all their business loans would be rejected, uh, weren't really given a lot of mortgages. So had to learn uh, a few more subversive ways of being able to save money. So when I was in university, uh, just to avoid going into overdraft, Tony, I used to do a partner hand which uh, for those who don't know, is basically everyone, for example, will put in £20 in a partner hand. Let's say there may be 10 or 20 members of this partner. We'll uh-huh. put in £20 weekly. There's one person that holds that pot. And each week, some one of us uh, within that partner hand will get the entirety of that money. Ah, and that's such a good idea. So that was a nice way we used to kind of save money and was kind of a way of avoiding any kind of loans or any kind of APR. That's um, Mm. It was a yeah, real useful way of, of the people teaching how so it's you done. Guys, you guys are incredibly uh, diligent and intelligent about this in a way that I have to be honest and say I, I was I was never. Uh, I had to be. I got a story why, though. I remember why. Because mm. uh, I was, I can't say, I could have been more than 13. And I went to a, a, like a jumble sale and I bought a few comic books and I asked a friend to borrow some money for it. And my dad found out that I borrowed money from somebody. And you have to understand, my dad is a pretty easygoing guy for like a uh, Windrush generation or first generation immigrant. His three things are do not lie and do not cheat, do not steal. And oh, my God, do not borrow money from your white neighbors. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm not going to go into detail, but put it this way. As I say to my friends, that might be the reason I've never had an overdraft or a mortgage because the fear he put in me for borrowing money. Oh, yeah, I think that happens a lot, actually, like like second generation immigrants where parents are so averse to credit. I actually wrote a thread about that the other day about how like we, we, we're often raised to see debt and credit as the enemy when it's not that black and white because you yeah. can have good debt, good, good, good debt, debt that contributes to your net worth or good debt that acts as investment uh, capital for, for future financial yeah, opportunities. Loss leader or, uh, and also liquidity as well. Obviously being liquid yeah. is good and having cash to pay stuff, but sometimes it's good to maintain your liquidity and this is the reason why like even if you are working with debtors and creditors you have that 28 days grace because people understand that you know you have to be chasing invoices and the like as well and since i've become self-employed i did study business at university but i do understand now the importance of having a credit card and building credit for the sake of a credit rating and learning just the process of because if it was up to me like i I would probably have the sensibility of like a drug dealer but like how much is that house 500 grand here are a series of (laughs) duffel bags or how much is the car here is one duffel bag because yeah i was so so afraid of debt like so afraid of being in debt Mm -hmm. and i guess yeah i just had and just had that complex whereby it was always seen where, where you know the more more advanced uh, systems of finance and wealth weren't really accessible to me as a black man. And so it was like, you need to save your money and not pretend, depend on anybody for a loan. I never had an overdraft. And, you know, I didn't get a credit card until a couple of years ago when my manager was like, let's get a credit card because you build credit because if you want to get a mortgage, then they need to see a line of credit and know yeah. that you're used to making regular repayments and stuff. So I just goes like, cool, I'll do it my way. I have a credit card, but it'll be directly linked to my current account with a direct debit. So it gets paid straight away. There's no long thing because I just, uh, yeah, mm. I was so determined to save money. And also because I guess I always had these uh, closeted uh, creative urges 
Mm. And I'd seen so many instances of aspiring creatives and their families suffering because they couldn't afford to pay the bills because the money wasn't coming so quick, which kind of made me put me off getting into comedy and and the creative uh, industry for a little while because... Like I said, it's this Caribbean mentality where I'm just like, your job is to provide for your family. Your father won't be around all the time. If your sisters need help or your cousins need help or your mother needs help, mm. not, to be, to be able, not to be able to do so is out of the question. So mm. the way I, so I guess in terms of how I saved money was that was always my motivation, that it was, I had all, all the old, like I guess all the old maxims, like if you want to buy something, you should be able to pay for it twice. Um, if you can't afford it, you have to wait and, and go without. So I guess it's just always been a very, uh, very rigid um way of disciplining myself and just being like do you relate to that tony um i guess i know i guess my situation was quite different in that i had an early experience with um debt experience with credit and i was never necessarily like anti-credit and debt and then i think what changed for me was as my parents uh garnered more knowledge about how to manage debt and how to manage credit they eventually cascaded that to me and and by then it was a, it was a little too late because i was living in overdraft mm. but at least it, it, <laughs> i guess it was in the right time because it was like okay you know what this is the situation you're in this is what you need to do i have grown to to learn about this so this is how we can help you and then um i guess my experience was different in that i never really had this mentality growing up that oh i needed to have um loads of money in my current account and never have debt like i had a credit card quite early um and that was partially me trying to build my credit because the overdraft was connected to my current account so i didn't have a credit card when that happened but then when i was in this debt situation i was like okay now i've got my debt under control i've paid my debts off i'm in a fantastic situation how do i now build my credit and i was i was getting those credit cards and i was um and then i, I got got a mortgage with my mother and i and i hmm. did lots of different things to to help me have access to large amounts of credit should i need it and now i'm in a position where oh if i needed to buy a car and pay for the entire thing at once i could do it because i have access to that level of credit and i think for me it was like I was of the view that, oh, it's very, very important to be able to build a financial reputation where if you need lots, if you need a massive cash injection and you don't have family or friends that can give that to you, you can go to a bank and you can get that. Um, and I guess with me, I don't know, I, I, there are some views that I don't necessarily have in the, in the traditional sense. So you mentioned like, oh, how some people say, for example, if you can't buy it twice, don't buy it. Um, I think now with my budgeting spreadsheet, I've realized even if you can buy it twice, three times, sometimes still don't buy it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I've been in situations where I've like walked into certain stores and I'm like, I really love this bag. And I'm like, I could buy this bag. I could buy five of these bags, but do I need this bag? I really don't. So for me, it's also about like... <laughs> yeah, that's me all the time. It's me. That's me and Suffragists all the time just walking yeah, around and I'm being on a second on a second floor and being like, so are, you, are you that much of a consumer? Who are you really? Uh, uh, fine, but... Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah, right. Is capitalist? Does it, is it by force you need this? What are you trying to prove? Yeah. yeah, I'm in a constant, I'm in a constant battle with myself when it comes to spending money. But I think what has also helped is, is with age and obviously getting older and considering different responsibilities. Similarly to you, Dane, where like I'm the oldest of three children oh. and I've, I am very aware of the fact that should God forbid anything happen to my parents, my siblings, even though they are adults, they are still going to look to me for guidance because there is this maternal role I play with in the family unit and for me it's like okay you know what tony you need to have your money on point because god forbid the worst happens you need to be able to support your siblings in a way that you would like them to be supported and just thinking about um contributions towards the family as well and i I think being west african being nigerian um especially if you are um, second generation and you are the oldest of your group of siblings people sometimes forget that for the eldest siblings it's not just a financial responsibility for them alone they are financially responsible for a lot of people or at least Mm. they contribute in ways that typically the first child of maybe a western family wouldn't contribute um so Mm. there's there's sometimes a lot of pressure there because uh, Mm. culturally there are certain expectations i know for one as well like in black households there is no palming your mother off into a old people's home or your father off into an old people's home. You are oh, taking yeah. care oh, of them. Absolutely. So for me, it's like, I need to make sure that my money is good because my parents are getting older. And as I've gotten older, that is always in the back of my mind. Like I need to have the money there so I can take care of them when they can no longer work. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, obviously being from a different, uh, ethnic group, uh, and an ethnic group that is famous for being good with its money. 
uh, which is obviously complete bollocks uh, because uh, I can show you you think think Jews run the world they can't even run their own bank accounts people don't worry about that just just like regular people yeah and 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 I can tell you that my relationship with money definitely definitely was influenced by my uh, father good rest his soul who who definitely went through some ups and downs in his life which Mm. which which mean you look at it so differently and I would tell you this I have very few money saving uh, tips because basically I don't really spend my money on anything other than uh, the place I live the food I eat and the holidays I go on uh, and everything else is is, is, an ex- is a vital expense my wife has to remind me to buy clothes because uh, oh, wow. they, they get they get too old and um, you know what I think the, the, <laughs> my favourite money saving thing before we move on to Dane's question mm-hmm. reduce sections at supermarkets that's when you've <laughs> I used to love I was so good at that reduce section that I even like you know back in the day had a real real skill for the timings just getting the timings right uh, I don't know if you guys ever did that but you know um, what I could actually low-key I can relate to that my, like, my local Sainsbury's like there are certain times of the day where the reduce section is popping so I know yeah. exactly M- 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 MS food halls right next door to the Sainsbury's in the retail park so when they have their reduce oh man if you see the fruit, <laughs> the fruit platters in this house I don't even I don't even like pomegranate and kiwis, but if it's reduced, then you are added to the plower. So I, I get it. I totally get it. Well, thank you for answering that question. It was very uh, very useful. It's so useful. Uh, I'm, I just I just uh, opened up a page. I'm gonna I'm gonna do an Excel spreadsheet after this from now on for my income and outgoings. Oh, it's so addictive. Nice. Like I look at mine like every single day. It, it it gets to a point when you're in a good financial position, it, it's the opposite. You know when you're in a bad one, you don't want to look at your bank account. When yeah. you're in a good one, it's like, let me just remind myself how good I am and how disciplined I am. Looking so, forward yeah. for that bread. If let's land that bread a good home. Here you go. Here you go, money. Have right? a little seat right here with your brothers and sisters now. Incidentally, also called a mo money. <laughs> I just think you know what I, I was looking at your 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 temp spreadsheet template thing, and I thought you know our viewers could uh, listeners could really do with uh, with some advice. So there we go. Over to Dane for the final question of today's episode. Yes, uh, yes, sir, and madam. Uh, so Tony, as I'm sure you know, I discovered uh, your work on the uh, show of uh, the Grapevine. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And, uh, yeah, and I uh, found you to be very intelligent and very insightful. Uh, and it's a really great show. Um, now, I guess that led me down a very nice rabbit hole of a number of, uh, I guess, special interest shows on YouTube, uh, podcasts and the like, um, discussing just, you know, uh, I guess, everyday issues for the diaspora. What I found comes up a lot, though, is well, for some of the, I guess, some of the shows which may not be of the same level of verbosity and also depth as the grapevine, a theme frequently, frequently comes up. There's a lot, it's a very narrow spectrum of topics that I think a lot of black uh, podcasts and shows discuss. And it's normally revolving around relationships, dating, cheating, um, and expectations of dating. And I really feel like, you know, obviously it goes without saying, but I'd like to say it again, black lives matter, but black love also matters. And I feel like in our, uh, amongst our plight and our struggle for equality and equity, Sometimes we forget that, you know, even as strong and as battle hardened as we are, we need a tender touch as well. But then at the same time, and I know it's taken a long time, but I'll get to it. But at the same time as well, I feel like there is a reason why these comments frequently come up in this in discourse amongst uh, my uh, black peers and stuff. 
And I think, like I said, I think, you know, as we said before, love is, God is love and yeah, love is the most important thing. Uh, and everyone, everyone wants to be loved. And however, I have found even with my own personal experiences that when you are pursuing other uh, aspirations that are not of uh, or other pursuits, which aren't necessarily romantic, you tend to find less people that look like you around and share mutuality with them. So um, my question was to you, how difficult do you think it is to find love between two black people in the UK? I think when it comes to black people finding love in the UK, I don't think it's any different from um, other races finding love in, in their home country because the UK is a very diverse place, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in London. And a lot of uh, these shows that we watch and we see online, they are London-based. They they have a London cast, London crews, people from London discussing their love lives and dating experiences. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily that it's, it's any more difficult than elsewhere, but there are different challenges. Like you said, challenges being what happens when you're out of London? Are yeah. you going to see as many black faces? If I'm in Yorkshire and I'm a black person and I'm looking to date another person of my race and my culture, how easy is it? Is it going it, to be? It's not, it's not easy. Like, for example, I in Huddersfield, which was near the university, I couldn't date half the black women in Huddersfield because half the black women in Huddersfield are my cousins. So, <laughs> and that is true. Half the black women in Huddersfield in West Yorkshire are distant if not close uh, relatives and i even met a few women who showed interest and my cousins my first cousins had to tell them you can't date him and they'd be like why not because he's your cousin so yeah yeah so i think i think if we i think when it comes to when we're talking about difficulties when we're talking about difficulties in the uh connection and chemistry sense i don't think it's it's necessarily any more difficult than any other race but when it comes to geography and accessibility accessibility i do agree that it is more difficult than the average white person who lives in the uk because everywhere you see people that look like you if if you go to hull if you go to uh, if you go to Yorkshire, if you go to Leeds, if you go to Brighton, you're not seeing as many black people as you're seeing in and around London. Um, but I think with that said, one thing I do, um, I do promote is black people not being afraid to date outside of their geographic area. And the reason why I say that this, I have a lot of friends that talk about, um, I don't live in London. I actually live outside of London. I'm an Oxford girl. I've lived in Oxford pretty much all my life. And, um, I've dated one person in, my city and outside of my uh four relationships that i've had and i'm in one now they've they've not been from oxford um apart from that one person and i think sometimes people are of the opinion that oh i must stay in my geographic bubble because it will be easier but sometimes the best things aren't always the easiest things like sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to step outside of your geographic location sometimes you have to think outside of the box a lot of uh, black people i mean the view is changing now people are more open to online dating but i think culturally um the black community is slightly more averse than the white community when it comes to the concept of online dating and the benefits of it but i do think if you are black and you do not live in a location that is very black then you do have to think outside of the box you have to be more creative creative with the places you go creative with how you use online media um and be open to stepping outside of your comfort zone and that might mean traveling elsewhere to meet more black people because for example i have family and friends who live very down south so family and friends that live in in brighton for example Mm -hmm. and they've had to travel elsewhere and they've managed to find love elsewhere but with the knowledge that okay i want to find a relationship and in brighton i know every black person and i'm not interested (laughs) in them so i'm going to travel to london i'm going to travel to manchester and for some it's even like long distance relationship country to country because they've managed to meet people online so um as far as the chemistry and connectivity element i don't think it's any more like difficult than any other race but but as far as the geography and meeting people yeah you have to be creative as a black person if you're not a black person living in and around a metropolitan Metropolitan area like London. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, yeah, as I said, where if I mean, especially if you want to, if it is interracial dating you are kind of looking for, you are there definitely subject to very dwindling resources depending on what part of the country you're in. Because even if you haven't been with anybody or you don't know them, you may have friends, and by the sixty degrees of separation, it can be very difficult. Yeah. And I think, um, as you said, uh, the internet has been crucially important for I think particularly black people who exist and thrive outside of uh, the metropolitan cities in this country, in order to connect themselves and find that you know find. Uh, uh, cultural references, valid cultural references, as well as yeah, the opportunity for pursuing romance uh, outside of their uh, immediate area. And I think that's been massively important. I really hope that, like, yeah, uh, black people continue to pursue um, 
opportunities uh, for romance online, you know, because I remember growing up and people being on like Black Planet and my friends yeah. talking to people from like America <laughs> and stuff and Black yeah. Shadow. Like, I wasn't really into it because I probably had a time where I was just like, why well, go Black Planet? You know that there's girls that live in Hounslow. Look how far <laughs> that is, bruv. <laughs> Don't sit in that, bruv. It's out of this world. Might as well go to Mars. So... Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a very important thing. I, I, I don't think it's uh, I don't think black people are adverse to dating one another within London and surrounding areas. But yeah, I just I can only definitely speak from personal experience, and you kind of have to take into account the social paradigms that people observe. Because when I was before I started doing comedy, when I used to work in like offices, I'd see I mean there'd be black women there, but some of them may be older than me, so they may not be interested in dating black men. But yeah, it was just very hard to. Uh, observe any kind of uh social paradigm where you could kind of meet people because i like just before i started coming like 2010 in earnest but like 2008 so like 2010 mm-hmm. raving was done so you couldn't even go out to like clubs and socialize in normal fashions to meet people because mm-hmm. a lot of the normal haunts where you'd go and so uh, socialize had kind of been shut down and at that time i really wished that the internet was around because i think we only had like myspace was the most the closest thing yeah. to a social network at the time but i really wish that there had been like university now if i knew as a kid now i could go on tinder or bumble or hinge to find somebody and not have to go to clubs in like west Yorkshire, <laughs> oh i'd be so happy i, I, I could i could imagine like having to go back and i think yeah just being able to like i said have that connection and be prepared to travel is um mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it's, it's infinitely important. So I've even got a friend. My friend is a, uh, he's based in obviously the UK, but his uh, girlfriend uh, is based in Dubai. And um, I think going back to even the first question we had at the beginning of the, of the episode, it's like, I think that's important for a good relationship. I think sometimes, even if, if you're a black person, you're dating another black person, you may live in another country or another part of, of the country. I think it's kind of good because it means that you, absence makes the heart grow fonder, yeah. even though I know I'm a bit of a romantic in that respect, but it does. It, it adds a certain element of novelty to your yeah. encounters with your partner. I think you give the breadth between that to pursue your own interests and you know it's almost like you know a relationship with somebody who is a long distance relationship now where they live up north but like in between that they have time to grow as personally and spiritually and you know pursue their interests i have time to do the same so then mm-hmm. when you when you do finally meet up then you just completely focus on one another yeah. and um well, you've got yeah, to try things healthy. in life, haven't you? I think that's the, that's the, one of the things that might be the uh, <laughs> the lesson of today's episode is you know trying things. You know, you you can't. I think if I think there's some people, and I'm not sure what you know, if Tony, you feel this way or Dane, but some people rebel against being within their own group, right? As in, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, yeah. their first instincts were to were to not do that. I, I can tell you that was certainly my instinct. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. was not. I, I, I was I, I not enamoured. Obviously, I'm from Lucian Bar in South East London, and I didn't. I like I didn't want to go a lot of the girls from the area. No, but not that well, wrong I, with I didn't want to. I didn't want to try and date a, a Jewish girl when I was young. You know, I, I was really not. Gonna, not that I could date any girl. To be I'm honest with you, when I was young, I swore I would never date a Nigerian man ever. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, I, and I had no problem. I, I had no problem with it necessarily. But for me, it was just I don't. Especially at a time when I'm a virgin and uh, toxic masculinity it was not a, a a concept that existed at the time. And it's like mm. I don't want a girl that I had sex with to know to anyone else to know I had sex with. Uh, if, I, if, if I'm if I'm bad in bed. Then I can't show my face in a borough anymore. <laughs> oh God! If, if my girl's from yeah, but if she's from Harringay, who's gonna know? Um, but I I did the thing. Dane knows Tony, uh, and maybe listeners remember this from another episode. Did seventy six internet dates to find my wife, and uh, oh, wow. it was it wasn't like I forced it. It had to be seventy six or anything. It was that was she was she was number seventy seven. And um, the 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 thing I, I think uh, you know happened. I don't know if I've ever told you this, Dane, but there was a point where uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Dane, a Faye, said you should probably try your own lot. Like try try some Jews because you know it hasn't worked out with the rest of the world <laughs> so far. Um, and so I had a, I had a kind of six month uh, J date Jew fest and. Um, not successful not successful at all and and you know what i'm really pleased that i did it no because you know what i mean you you should have you, you know i would if i'd have maybe never found tara and never been happy i might have always gone well maybe i should have you know i don't i think the phrase stick to your own is obviously a really difficult <laughs> phrase because it has a lot of racial but for some people that might really work culturally they need the people close to you know, who have that same identity some people don't yeah i mean yeah it depends on person to person and you know I think that it can be very, as far as like attraction to somebody, even when you say stick with your own kind, that can mean, that can be a very ambivalent statement as well, because you can be with somebody from the same place as you on paper, but it's whether they share the same kind of value system, I suppose, and the same ideas and and beliefs and stuff. Uh, So 
yeah, I, just, I think it's. I think it's more. It's like it's like you said, Tony. It's like it's it's high risk, high reward. It's how much effort you are prepared to put. I, I personally feel like when people do kind of lament the idea they can't find somebody, it's like you're talking about a state of being which is the one that most people on the planet look for. Like if you're looking for love, shouldn't you be concerned if it was too easy to find? Right, I would be worried. Right, exactly. Yeah. So even even so, even with me, when people kind of like you know you think about settling down and blah blah, it's like yeah, it's not. I mean, not that I, I'm that. I'm not that too focused on the language of the idea of settling down, but it's like, if we are talking about, you know, if anyone who's experienced love, and if you're talking about the potential highs and the potential improvement to your life, to be sharing your life with somebody else, that isn't going to involve a lot of work. If you're, yeah. like, you know, in the same way that if you are pursuing a creative dream of a professional nature, then you remember, you, you are aware of the sacrifices that are required to realize that dream. And if you're going to find somebody who's supposed to, you know, complete you, be your better half, then, you know, it might require, yeah, you being less insular within your own community, being prepared to travel, and uh, yeah, walk 500 miles like the proclaimer said. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what a brilliant, brilliant episode that's Absolutely. been today. That, uh, so positive. So much, po- not, we're not always this positive, Dane. Tony, that's definitely, we've got <laughs> we a lot more anger. Positive. Did you even see, lot, when Tony said positive. she was in a relationship, I didn't even throw my microphone down and kick off my laptop <laughs> or anything. Took it on the chin like a champion. You will be getting some great acerbic YouTube comments on the next episode. <laughs> This girl won't marry anybody, you know. (laughs) Brilliant. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for gracing us. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. uh, And thank you for coming on. Um, I'm aware that most people would love to hear more from you. So please uh, tell our listeners what projects you're working on, when they can find some of your great works and what you have in the immediate future. Oh, there's some stuff I don't, I don't even want to say. It's juicy. I don't even want to say because I still have to put pen to paper, if you know what I mean. I, I know exactly. I don't, not until the bag is in front of you, is it secured? Exactly. So I'm waiting for the bag to be directly in front of me. Um, but as far as like what I'm working on, still want to produce loads of content, working on lots of writing at the moment. Um, I have some special surprises in store. So if people want to find out what they are, they could just follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Tony Tone, but with zero instead of O so T, just to be awkward you know T0NI-T0NE <laughs> but yeah I have some stuff in store but I'm just waiting to uh, put pen to paper and then I shall announce well you are now part of the Dane Baptiste Questions Everything alumni and therefore we will always share and promote whatever one absolutely things you just thank me and you let me know. so much and also to listeners uh, subscribe to Heels Off as well oh yeah mm. yeah thank you so much My Tony pleasure. thank you for coming on the show we've all managed to do it in the time frame we hoped we would <laughs> love it love it when a plan comes together thank you so much Tony thank you so much for having me have you got much plan for the rest of the day uh, I've got another uh, show to do so I'm about to go jump on and do a zoom show so oh, and I'm going I'm, I'm to get vomited on by a baby oh. so. lucky <laughs> <laughs> no, two very different situations but very very good nonetheless exactly all, la- all labors of love Tony look, look after yourself and enjoy the sun for the while it's still here eh? thank you you too thanks Tony thank you. bye You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnaptiste. Our guest was Tony Tone. You can follow Tony on Twitter and Instagram at Tony Tone. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Decode. You can follow D on Twitter and Instagram at Official Decode. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys, and remember, question everything. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.